This is Chris from Don't Let Them Burn. Welcome to our show. You can find us on www.dontletthemburn.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, vid.me, scene.life, um, Tumblr. And you can also find us on YouTube. Check out our YouTube where we take all our shows and we put pictures and videos to help you to follow the conversation. And Rory, you're in the house tonight, aren't you? Yes, I am. Good evening. How's everybody doing? Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> All right. So tonight we have our guest, Carl Tykrib, and he's a speaker. He goes to a lot of um, functions to get the information that we can't get ourselves because we don't go to these functions. And it's very important information for you to know in these last days. So without further ado, I'm going to bring in our guest, Carl. How are you doing? Hey, Chris. I'm doing well. Rory, good to, to finally make a connection with you guys. And it's a pleasure yeah. to be on your show. Oh, thank you so much for joining uh, us. Same here. Same here. Let's, let's open a word of prayer before we get started. Lord God, we just want to thank you for this wonderful day and for the time that we will just share, oh Lord God, um, to equip your people for this time, this season that we live in. Lord God, we just only choose to bring honor and glory to your name. And that by hearing these things that we will discuss, lives will be changed or lives will be impacted. And they will fulfill the destiny or the calling that you have placed on people's life. And that they will be redeemed from destruction. And given an opportunity, Lord, to come to know you intimately. May we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Carl, can you tell the people, the audience, about yourself before we get into the deeper issues? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, uh, you know, Chris, we, we met at the uh, Deception in the Desert conference back in last, uh, last November, it was. And uh, I really enjoyed just getting to know you a little bit there. And we had a, a, a good way of connecting with each other. It's nice to be able to, to see people face to face. And uh, the type of work that I do and have been doing full time since 1997, I've been uh, a researcher in a number of interlocking areas. Uh, I look at international politics, so I've been to different United Nations events. I, I look at uh, transhumanism and technology, and therefore I've been also to a number of, of transhumanist uh, meetings and different organizations, conferences. I also take a look at the spiritual and the, and the religious side. Uh, so that includes going to places like the Parliament of World Religions. Back in the year 2000, I was at the uh, Global Summit for the United Religions Initiative. Uh, and there's quite a lengthy list of different events I've attended that way. Uh, and I also take a look at, at things that are happening within the culture as well, particularly the area of, of what's known as evolutionary culture or transformational festivals. Things like, like Burning Man, which really is, a, is an entity in its own right. Uh, to, to other events across the United States, Canada, and indeed around the world. And so my, my task is to examine all of these what look like diverse, and they are, what look like diverse fields of interest, and then to find, okay, where are those commonalities? What are driving them together? And for the last, well, 20 years, this is what my calling has been as a, as a full-time author, writer, and uh, researcher and lecturer. So back in 97, I helped an author by the name of Gary Kaw uh, do the research for his book, The New World Religion. 
and I've helped other authors along the way. And I speak at different conferences. I, I teach a course at a, a Bible college in uh, southwestern Saskatchewan on secular and pagan trends. And that's the kind of stuff I do. Rory, I know you have something to say. You heard about Burning Man and stuff like that. Rory always talking about that. <laughs> yes, I did. How did you get started? Number one. And number two, you got to tell me a little bit more about Burning Man. Okay. I've done a little research, research on it, too. All right. Well, how I got started in this type of work? I got started back in the early 1990s. Uh, I was working for a healthcare program in a very small town, the town I grew up in. And uh, the healthcare program uh, was, was manned by some wonderful people, people on my board of, of directors, uh, great people, but they were all Masons or members of some other affiliated uh, lodge. And so there's a lot of pressure from 91 till about 93 or so to join Freemasonry. I never did, but some things were said and done that caused me uh, to have to go and, and examine it. Uh, it, with well, with much more detail. I knew nothing about it, gentlemen, really nothing at all. And, and I didn't want to know anything about it. Uh, frankly, I wasn't interested in going to more meetings. My job uh, as a health, uh, kind of a, I was part of a, of a healthcare uh, uh, kind of a support program for senior citizens, and I had enough meetings already on my plate. So I wasn't really interested at all. And every time I'd ask the guys, well, what do you guys do? They would tell me the same thing over and over again, ad nauseum, we make good men better. So what? So, uh, you know, I don't need to go to more meetings to be made better. Um, <laughs> so I never did join the lodge, but some things were said. In fact, two, two of my board members put, took, uh, took me aside for a supper meeting and said something to me that I had never, ever thought of, had never entered my mind. One of them said to me, he says, Carl, we're not Satanists. And I'm like, well, where in the world did that come from? That was like a shot out of the dark. I never even, never even contemplated this. And so at that point, I realized, you know, Mr. Tycrub, you better figure out what in the world they've been accused of and why you would even say something as ridiculous as this. And then for the next, oh my goodness, three, four years, I spent a lot of time digging into Freemasonry, digging into, into the uh, the philosophy of the lodge, into the ritual works, into the monitors and handbooks. And I didn't even know that there were books written by Christians on the subject. I had no clue of that. Uh, my, my immediate thought was just go to the horse's mouth, um, dig into what they say about themselves and what their, their philosophy, their history, what their goals are. And then at that point, it, it drove me into deeper research, into areas like theosophy, uh, into various other esoteric orders. And uh, from that point on, it just expanded and expanded as I realized that there was a worldview that was being discussed and contemplated within, within these circles. And that worldview impacted politics. It impacted economics. It impacted culture. It had this, this co continual flavoring. And really, it was a Genesis 3 flavoring that we could be as gods, that we could be like God, uh, knowing good and evil, and that we could be enlightened, and so that was that was my start. So this is just like a, a serious calling from the Lord, because as as far as I know, your field it's like singular to me. I don't right. see a lot of people going to these pagan conferences and and doing what you do, and have been into all sorts of organizations, like even um, the Mormonism. I saw you do a couple 
talks at their um, functions. That's correct. Yes, I was a speaker at the Mormon uh, Transhumanist Association annual meeting back in 2013. They had me come in as a uh, as a, a Christian critic of religious transhumanism. So yeah, I go to different places th- th- than than normal. Interesting, interesting. Um, but I w- I too was asked to join the Masonic Lodge by a gentleman that he wanted to ask me to take over from what my dad my dad was with the lodge and. Uh, I told him no. I said, you know, uh, I am a child of the living God, and uh, I don't want to part- participate in, in that at all. At that point in time, I started digging in, and I found out that it was totally contrary to the Bible. Did you find that also? Oh, absolutely. The very, you know, the very first thing that hit me was that this was a a philosophy of universalism. Didn't matter what God I believed in. Didn't matter what God I worshipped. As long as I worshipped a God, a supreme being, and and that men of every faith could unite around the altar of Freemasonry. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, uh, this is contrary to the biblical position where Jesus Christ is the only way. There isn't all these other pathways. The other thing that struck me right away, too, was this constant striving for perfection. Even some of the degrees reflect in their names this idea of constant perfection. So you're always working for a type of perfectibility. You're you're going from the rough ashlar, the rough brick, to the perfect ashlar, the perfect brick. You're going to be a perfect brick in the wall. And I thought, no, 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 Christ is the one that perfects, not my works, certainly not the wall, and certainly not the lodge. So, oh man, it's just it's just a wide web of deception out there. You mentioned Burning Man earlier, and you just came from a conference sort of like that, right? Yeah, it was, it was the name that you told me was very interesting. What was the name of that thing again? Uh, Paganicon. Paganicon. You hear that, Rory? Wow, where is that held? Uh, I was at Paganicon in Minneapolis. It's the seventh annual Paganicon. And it's a gathering of about 500 witches, Wiccans, Druids, and other members of different pagan communities. Wow. So my, my task was just to sit, to listen, uh, go to the workshops, observe some of the rituals, uh, and then interact with people in the hallways and just listen, listen, listen. Because mm. that's how you learn. Yeah. Well, how did you prepare for something like that, spiritually? Well, you go into it with prayer, but you also go into it with with the understanding that okay, this is what you're called to do, uh, and, and that's an aspect to it that that will be unique for myself. I don't recommend, uh, you know, you go out or your friends or your church, your, your members go out and do this kind of stuff unless you understand that that is a calling, an area that you've you've specifically been um, been pushed into that way by by God's hand. Yes, you go in with prayer. I ask my church to pray. I asked a number of friends, a lot of friends to pray. Uh, and, and you know, I'm glad I did. I don't usually share with people before I go to these kinds of events, but for, for some reason I, I felt like I needed to do that for this one. Mm. And, and I'm glad I did. Now, now here's the thing. I always get the question, um, doesn't it freak you out? No, no, it doesn't. In fact, uh, it would freak me out if I would go to an event like that and they were all singing songs of, of praise to Jesus and they're all reading from the Bible uh, and they were all exclaiming Jesus Christ is the only way. That would freak me out because I knew it would be at the wrong place. Um, 
I, you fully expect that this is going to be pagan because that's exactly what it is. Um, at the same time, yeah, you're not always comfortable. I'll grant you that. It's not always a, a very comfortable setting, even though you meet some really interesting people, some very genuine individuals. I've met some fantastic folks at so many of these events, and I've had people show me genuine hospitality. I've also had people who've been hostile to, to what I do. So, you know, it runs the, the full spectrum. Um, but the bottom line, though, gentlemen, is this. We, we bow to our God in love. Mm. Eventually, eventually, the deities, the pagan deities, the gods and goddesses, the powers and principalities, as Paul talks about, those powers and principalities that the pagans bow down to now will all bow down to our Lord but we bow down to him in love, they will bow down to him in fear. And that is really a, a, a powerful and yet terrifying thought at the same time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I say amen to that because uh, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Bingo. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Rory. Absolutely. Sometimes or a lot of times what happens, because you wave the banner of Jesus Christ, when you enter into that setting, they immediately know who you are. Don't you yes. get that sometimes? Yes, and, and in fact, uh, like this event took place from Friday until uh, Sunday evening, and it happened. It happened March seventeenth to the nineteenth. Uh, the Friday, it, it seemed everything seemed to go fairly smoothly. Um, I was I was moving around fine and dandy. There was no issues. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, on Sunday, pardon me, Saturday evening, and then later Sunday afternoon. I did have groups of people staring at me for a while, and that, I'm like, okay, something, something's a little bit amiss here. Uh, either, either their spirit and my spirit, there, there's a clash, something's going on. But uh, yeah, there, for, for a few moments, that, that was definitely there. Uh, and you're, you're, you know, you're aware of that. You know it. You see it. Um, you don't necessarily know what it is that's happening because you just don't walk up to them and say, hey, you know, whatever. The three of you, why have you been staring at me for the last 10 minutes? You just don't do that. Um, but yeah, there, there is that reality. Here's the kicker, though, gentlemen. I've been at United Nations meetings um, where I've had people come up, uh, and, and we've had conversations and kind of got to be a bit of friends over the course of the week. And then all of a sudden we realize that there's a reason why we connected, and, and I, find, I find out later uh, that they're a Christian and that I'm a Christian as well. They they didn't go because they were doing research, but they were they were, they were sent by their organization that they had been a part of, that they had been employed by. And mm. on a couple of times, they didn't even know why they were there. Um, and so, you know, their spirit and my spirit went click. Hey, we're brothers. You know, we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I've had that experience as well, which has been really cool. Far that's really far more cool than. Then when all of a sudden you've got, you know, a group of pagans looking at you going, something's not quite right with this, with this fellow standing off on his own. Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, in Vegas, you talked about oneness. Yes. This is the same theme that's going through this conference too? Completely, completely, Chris. This was oneness. In fact, it was said over and over again that we are a religion of nature. We are a religion of worshiping creation of worshiping the, the natural environment uh, and that we do it through the arch archetypes of gods and goddesses and myth and mythology. Uh, we do it through the recognition that, that we have allegiances and alliances to the old gods and goddesses. And so some of the, some of the workshops I went to, they were very open about how, 
certain gods or certain goddesses, Athena would be one example, would come to them and physically manifest, physically make demands and make suggestions to them as Wiccans and, and witches that they should do this or they should do that or that they should begin to think about building temples, this type of thing. You know, if there was ever time that I had, you, you could say, kind of say that the hair on the back of your neck stand up, mm-hmm. it, was, it was when the, the Wiccans on a couple of different workshops were very open about how spirits, uh, and they had the names for their spirits and how those spirits would very specifically come and speak with them move them, motivate them, and that they would realize that they were actually being called uh, to be of service to different gods and goddesses, most, most of them from the ancient world, uh, uh, coming to them and saying, I want you to worship me. I want you to adore me. I want you to do rituals to me. And you're sitting there going, man, um, I, I'm, I'm being a witness to those powers and principalities uh, playing in the lives of people who are giving themselves over to them. Uh, you know what's amazing that you bring up the name Athena. People, when they read mythology, they think that all of these statue gods and you know birds and whatever, that they're all just make-believe. But here you give a testament of how real a lot of these either fallen angel or demonic entities are. Right. You know, here's something else interesting, gentlemen. It doesn't matter where you go in North America. I'm in Canada and you're in the U.S. It doesn't seem to matter where you go. You go to major cities and you have, you always find statues of different gods and goddesses on the tops of some of our largest and most important buildings. And it all harkens back to this age of, of Greek mythology, Roman mythology. Uh, you, can go, uh, you can go to Nashville, Tennessee and see it. You can go to Birmingham, yeah. Alabama and see it. You can go uh, to Chicago. It doesn't matter. I, I can go to my city, my capital city of Winnipeg, two, two uh, hours down the road. On the top of our capital building is, is, is Mercury gone up as the golden boy or you, you you know the statue of liberty libertas we we have it all around us and if you spend time in in washington dc it is so in your face it's all over the place so to me you know chris you made a point we, we've always looked at this as mythology and something in the past and yet it's been all around us screaming at us we're on your high places we are we are we have statues in you know, on the high places of your culture and your politics and, and, and in terms of, of what drives your, your people and your society. And I think it's a stark reminder of that, that spiritual world that we, that we find ourselves in. Right. I think it, it, it helps us to take the Bible more seriously and literal, too, because it talks about uh, powers, principalities, spiritual wickedness in high places. These things are real. Right. Right. And, you know, a lot of these uh, statues and, and different monuments were designed uh, with sometimes even with people who didn't necessarily know that that was a worldview that was being presented because there's a kind of a, a, just a, a, a cultural reason for some of these types of things that, that, that happened, especially uh, with some of the world fairs. Uh, I know some of the larger, better known uh, statues like, uh, like Athena 
which is in uh, the goddess Athena, stands in the uh, a full-blown replica of the Parthenon in Nashville. And she was built for one of the World Fairs, you know, 40 feet high, gilded with gold, holding Nike in her hand with her sword, her shield, and serpents all entwined around, all around her shield. And there she is, 40-foot high goddess. And you're like, okay, um, you know, this was definitely the fad of the day, but at the same time, it also speaks to the fact that we can't seem to shake uh, these the, the very things that Paul and Peter uh, and the early church would have seen on a daily basis. Oh, this is, yeah, this is just, um, you know, I, I'm just, I, 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 the reason why I'm kind of lost for words is because I'm trying to imagine <laughs> what these people are seeing and their mindset towards their belief system and to think that this planet earth is everything to them everything and how romans one lays out that they worshiped the created thing instead of the creator it's just amazing right right we are, we are living in a romans one world wow rory yeah i looked at or i listened to what you were saying and um one of the things that stuck out to me is athena Athena, um, that 40-foot monument that's in Nashville, when I learned of that, I was shocked. But you, you said something, too, that is even more interesting. You walk around Washington, D.C., and it's all in your face. It's mm -hmm. everywhere. Um, the Supreme Court has Confucius and various other uh, of these uh, um, enlightened ones, or these gods, so to speak, that are above their heads, and people don't see it. Yeah, you know, uh, we, we forget that uh, the world that we're living in um, is not, this is not our home. We are citizens of, of a different kingdom. We're citizens of a heavenly kingdom. Um, but what I find striking in, in thinking about that is that if we could transport the early church, if we could transport uh, the disciples back from their day and put them into today's culture, they would walk around going, hey, We've seen some of this before uh, because that, it, it's that same, um, that same drive, that, that same celebration of these, of these ancient beings, these gods and goddesses. Uh, and you know something, when, when you compare them to who our God is, they have no power, but they, they certainly, certainly have an attachment or humanity has an attachment to them. Uh, I'm, I'm reminded of Isaiah chapter 40, and Isaiah 40 has become, for me, a very, very important passage. Isaiah 40, you are reminded that who is like God, and it's a whole chapter of comparing who God is, and one of the comparisons is to nature. Is he like nature? No, he measures it in his hands. He sees it all. He measures it. He's looking at it like a surveyor would. A surveyor sees it all in its big picture, in its parts, and in, and in its larger components. And he, he gets it all. He knows it all. So is he like nature? No, 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 no. Not even close. Is he like man's counsel and man's wisdom? No, not even remotely close. I don't know when the last time that God called you guys or called myself to say, hey, you know, what should I do in this situation? I need some counsel. No, God doesn't need man's counsel. You know, and then he's, then he's compared to the nations, and the nations to him are as a drop in the bucket. And the imagery being, being uh, the bucket that's dipped down into the cistern, pulled out with a rope, and the last remaining drops that mean nothing, 
that are dripping off the bucket. That's what the nations are like to him. Or, and he describes it this way, as the small dust, the fine dust on the scale. You know, the kind of dust that that you guys don't have in your homes, I don't have in my home, right? Yeah. Fine, fuzzy stuff in the corners that doesn't weigh anything and doesn't count on the scales, but you just go, you just blow it off. You blow it off because it's there. And he's describing the nations like that in compared to him. And then when I think of all of that, and I'm going, and we elevate these ancient pagan deities, who is our God compared to them? Mm. Wow. Yeah. Why do we have, we have nothing to be afraid of, gentlemen? Exactly. Absolutely. 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 But the the other thing, like you said, is that people need to know who God is for themselves. And, you know, um, they have to get into his word and, and learn his word and see how lofty God is. You know, Isaiah said, you know, the year King Hosiah died and I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And he says, you know, for the first time, he he he, from a human perspective, understood understood who God was. Right. And that's not even God in its entirety because we can't fathom God. But that's all he could that's all he could um do. And he says, I am undone. Woe is me. And this is what we are here to do at Don't Let Him Burn. It's just to share peop share with people God's word and what he has in store for us once we adhere to his word and we accept him in our hearts. Amen. There's another question. There's another question that I have for you. Burning Man. <laughs> the Burning Man event in, um, in, the, in the desert. Once right. a year, I can't remember where it, 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 it happens, but um, last year there was a landing strip or a, where planes can land uh, for the stars to come in. Um, I learned that it's, it's getting bigger and bigger every year. And the one place that is, um, I'm reminded of is the temple, the temple room, or the temple. It goes right back to worship, where these people could come and have sex, or whatever it is they wanted to do in the temple. Could you shed some light on that? Oh, wow. Well, Burning Man is, is one of the most important cultural events uh, in North America, and indeed around the world. And it's not just simply one event. Uh, it is, there is the one event that everybody knows of, but it has become a global phenomenon in that now you have regional burns around the world. Israel has a regional Burning Man event. Uh, in 2015, they burnt an effigy of Adam and Eve. South Africa has a regional Burning Man event. Australia has regional Burning Man events. There are regional Burning Man events scattered across the U.S., uh, Canada has one in Alberta uh, called Freezer Burn. And then, of course, everybody who knows anything a little bit about Burning Man automatically goes, uh, you know, in their mind to the big, big, big one. And that is uh, Burning Man proper, the Burning Man event that happens uh, in uh, the city that's constructed called Black Rock City. And that's in northern Nevada uh, in the Black Rock Desert. And last year, about 75,000 people attended. And it has been growing. It started... Uh, back in, I believe it was 86, when Larry Harvey and some friends, not very many guys, uh, just went out and, and burned an effigy uh, on the beach in San Francisco. Uh, and there's rumors as to why, there, there's reasons, um, and, and, you know, it doesn't really, it, it's not really pertinent necessarily with what's happened now with, with the event itself. 
And then uh, over the years, it just got a little bit larger, a little bit larger. And then I believe two or three years into it, uh, they decided, you know, we're going to make this into more, uh, um, you know, they decided to make this into an annual event. But two or three years into it, uh, a group called the Cacophony Society, um, which started off a few years before that and known as the Suicide Club, the Cacophony Society heard about it. They alerted their network. All of a sudden, there's hundreds of people at the beach. The police come. They can't burn the man. Uh, because the police presence is there. And, of course, I'm just giving you the Coles notes here. And so the Cacophony Society said, hey, you know, you guys got a great idea. Obviously, that there's some momentum to this. We know a place out in the desert of northern Nevada. We're going to go there. We're going to draw a line in the sand. And everything on this side of that line is a new reality. And that's what Burning Man is. It is a different reality. And then over the years, it's just grown and grown in size and influence and scope to the point where already for the last number of years they've they've had you know the stars come this is where this is not even necessarily where the stars go uh, this is really where silicon valley goes this is where the tech hubs of san francisco go um, it is really an interesting event in that it has set the cultural stage and uh, it is only growing in importance uh, I, I, so, I did i didn't learn i did, i didn't know that yeah i've i've, I've learned some things so um there's a, a burn that's, you, you talked about regional burns that are around the world. And right. is there any significance to the dates that are have been planned? Normally, um, these are high days on, on um, in various, in the pagan world. So I, 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 I'm just wanting to clarify. I'm not saying that they are. Right, right. Some are uh, on those dates. Some of them are built around the equinox. Some are not. Um, it, 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 it varies. It really does vary because the event itself is not necessarily uh, connected to any one specific frame of, of religious reference. It's really more, let's, we're creating our own God. We're creating our own temple. We're creating our own sacred space built around however that experience is for you. This year's theme, however, is really interesting. It's radical ritual. And what's fascinating is uh, in the last number of years, the last, well, since 2000, they've had a temple uh, constructed uh, at, at the event. And, and uh, what's so famous, of course, is the burning of the man, which is a very large effigy. Uh, the burning of the man takes place on Saturday, but every year since the year 2000, they also burn the temple um, on the following Sunday. This year... They're marrying the man and the temple. The man is getting his own temple. It will literally be a, the temple of man, basically within this mm. framework, this framework of reenchantment. So, mm. so with all this going on, right? Yeah, and the way that our culture is going, do you think that possibly it could be a direct result from some well, a lot of these um, pagan um, rituals? There definitely will be an interplay. There's going to be some connections. Uh, but at the same time, the event itself is, uh, is unique in that it really depends on what people bring to the table. Uh, and it's not just simply a one-time thing. Burning Man is, um, how do I describe this, a menu. It's a, uh, a structure that allows all kinds of people to bring in all kinds of different ideas. So during the whole week, there are hundreds and hundreds of different things happening within, within Black Rock City, within the Burning Man community. And I mean hundreds. I have the Where, What, When guides for going back to 2011, and they are 160 pages thick. 
of different events taking place on a daily basis. Everything from from really interesting workshops to stuff that is definitely the kind of stuff you don't want your kids to know about. Um, hmm, yeah, not going to find it in the Bible except in the bad places. So you right. know what? I mean? This is some really nasty stuff. A lot of very open, um, uh, open sexual debauchery. Uh, that that definitely plays into some of it. And and, and it, it's just like I said, it's a palette for whatever people bring to the table. Do you see this like one of the springboards for the one world religion? Yes and no. Uh, it definitely is a part of that puzzle uh, in, in that it's a reflection of what your culture already holds to. It's a reflection already of what your neighbors believe, whether they go to Burning Man or not. This is, and this is the importance of this. This is a reflection of our society today. So regardless of whether or not you go to Burning Man uh, or whether you don't go to Burning Man, odds are really high you're going to have family members that will fit within at least some of the thinking, uh, the philosophy that kind of percolates throughout the event uh, because the event is nothing more than just simply a reflection of your culture. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. And and we see this because the reason i'm asking so many questions around along this route is because i'm looking what's going on in entertainment i'm looking at the, the climate uh the social climate even though i know a lot of it's engineered um still in the background we have all these things going on as far as um diversity and flu gender fluidness and um you know right. trans this and trans that and transhumanism and a lot of this is still going back to the old gods. Yeah, there's a sense that, uh, that man is ascending, that man is becoming more than man. You know, and that really boils down to, to what this is all about. I mean, um, it's about the idea that we can become, uh, that we are not happy with being. We're not happy with just being human. We, we, we want to become something more. We want to become bigger than what God has, has placed us within and that's, I mean, that goes back again to Genesis 3 because Genesis 3 is all about Adam and Eve, in essence, saying we reject being. We reject being in God's will. We reject being uh, made in his image. Now we, re- we reject what we are to be. Now we want to focus on becoming. We will become as God. We will become uh, knowledgeable and enlightened we will become and we're always ever since then gentlemen we have been striving to become and transhumanism is about becoming uh the idea of 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 interreligious dialogue and inter interfaithism uh or the cultural side transformational culture burning man and, and a myriad of other events that are very similar uh, all of that is this expression of just we are becoming we want to become we are not satisfied with being made in God's image. We want to become made in our own image. And so we've been striving for that for, well, this is, this is the, the story of humanity's rebellion. Yeah. Looking into the book of Revelation and, some, and all the books of the Bible, and we have no idea what the end times, the end end, you know, the, the, the great tribulation um, those times where demons are actually physically manifesting, people not repenting from their fornication, their witchcraft, their drug abuse, and all sorts of other things, even though um, the gospel is still being preached. And when they see the Son of Man coming, I'm just I'm just looking at this 
in my own imaginary landscape, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because what you're what you're laying out here about the being and want to become gods and you see that there's so many different facets going on. Angles. Oh my God. Say again, please. Yes. <laughs> Angles. There's so many different angles you're coming from. I, I'm sitting here going, okay, okay. You know, it's it's hard, um, Chris. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm trying to imagine, like just like you and I. I don't even know where to start. There, there's so many different um, places that I could point to. You know. And you're right. There are a lot of angles. Uh, you know, here's here's the beauty of it. There's a, a simplicity, and yet there's a complicated aspect to it. The simplicity is, is is this. It's as simple as man seeking to become enlightened through our own wisdom and becoming our own masters, rejecting, at that point then, rejecting what God's will is. I always thought that, that uh, you know, God was, was uh, harsh when he said uh, that the consequences of, of our sin would be death. You know, for the longest time when I was a younger person, that kind of bothered me. But no, it makes logical sense. If we turn away from the author of life, because that's what he is, the logical consequence has to be death. And so at, the, at its most fundamental, uh, the most basic uh, aspect of all of these diverse things that we're talking about is this desire all the way back to the garden that we can be our own masters, and now, how that plays out, that's where it gets complicated, because it plays out in a bazillion different ways. And if I'm honest about it, it plays out in my life, too. It plays out in your life. We're always at war with that. We're always struggling with that. For every individual that's lived, it's played out in their life. And it's constantly at war with our Lord. And so... This is really the battle of the ages, the internal battle, and it's also played out externally. Um, it's, it's simple, and yet it plays out in very complicated ways sometimes. In Psalms 2, it talks about the kings of the earth gathering themselves together and their counsel to see how they shall, or how they shall become one together. And one of the things that um, I often look at, it, it says, or, or they're saying, let us cast his bands asunder, or their bands asunder. In other words, God had placed these bands in place, these limitations in place. But men today are saying, you know, we're going to throw these off. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do the things that we, we want. Like you said, the, 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 the years are, this year's burning man is going to be the man and the temple or something, whatever it is. But when I look at these things, this is what I see. I see man trying to become enlightened, which is they're um, pushing or, or leaving the presence of God. They want to turn their back or their backs on what God had put in place. And I think it's frightening for me. No, I agree. It is, and it is frightening, and, and it should be frightening, um, because what we what will happen is we will have we will have a situation, and we know this is coming, where God will end up judging the world, and He will be judging it through Jesus Christ. And and I, I look back at the Tower of Babel, and I see that as a very interesting model for how God comes down, and and it wasn't that the Tower of Babel was a um, that it was a threat to God, 
the Tower of Babel was, it's not a threat to God, but he comes down and he disperses it and he, he ends their construction. And he does so because if he hadn't done it, he would have had to judge even, even harsher, much harsher. And that's, that's implied in that section of scripture. Well, that was the Tower of Babel. And ever since then, we've been trying to build towers of Babel, whether they're cultural towers of Babel or technological towers of Babel or religious towers or political towers. And now we're building the next tower. We're building a final tower. And just as in the first tower, God is going to come again and he's going to judge. Yes, he is. We were talking earlier and yeah. you... I mentioned the UFOs, and you said it wasn't a really big aspect of these conferences. No. That's no. interesting to me because of all the propaganda going on within the, um, the movies, the kids' shows, all of our entertainment. The UFO thing is flooding everywhere, and it's like they're preparing us for some type of soft disclosure or hard disclosure, whatever it is. But you mentioned something about the, the New Age teachings and what you found out. Yes, and, and there is some elements of, of ufology uh, with some of this, but it's, it's not near as prevalent in the circles that I've been in. Uh, a few years ago, Burning Man uh, had a, a kind of a UFO, well, it wasn't kind of, it was, it was a UFO theme. Uh, and a number of years ago, oh, wow, I've got to think about this, going back to 97, 98, something like that, no, 99, uh, I was in a, uh, another pagan event where there was a lot of channeled messages and a lot of channeling taking place at the event itself, and the claim being that these are channeled messages uh, from extraterrestrial entities. And I have a fair a fair amount of uh, channeled uh, messages and, and, and literature and books in my in my uh, library, uh, my research library. And the one thing though that is um, one of those threads that is there is this. As you go through those channeled messages and you go through what they're saying, supposedly saying, they always say basically the same thing. You can become as God. Uh, you just don't know it, but you're really divine. You need, to, you need to find the Messiah within yourself. Don't wait for the second coming of Christ. Become your own Messiah. Uh, you have a lot of that. You have also have a lot of things like... Uh, uh, you need to get together uh, under one political system as as bearers of the light so that you can save Mother Earth and you can save the environment. There's a, a, a lot of deep ecology. Uh, and so I find it interesting wow. how, how UFOs supposedly came from, you know, billions of light years away and billions of galaxies distance from us. And, and they come to give us Shirley MacLaine, the New Age movement, Al Gore and uh, <laughs> Karl Marx. I mean, really? Yeah. Really? The worst. <laughs> I think I think I know who you are by your message. Yeah, yeah. So in in um, these conferences, do you hear a lot about depopulation? Uh, sometimes, the one at, at Paganistan or pardon me, P Paganicon. No, uh, did I? By the way, Chris, did I mention why it was called Paganicon? Oh no. No. Okay. No. Let me back this up really fast, gentlemen. Uh, I asked the question when I was there. Um, how do you pronounce it? Because I always was saying pagan icon, because it's pagan and then I-C-O-N. And by the way, this is part of a movement called uh, Pagan Pride Projects, or Pagan Pride Days, and there's about 40 of them across the U.S. Uh, and so I asked, I asked, how do you pronounce this? And, and the fellow that I was talking to, he said, no, no, he says, it's not pagan icon, he says, it's paganicon. 
I go, Paganicon? He goes, yes. He says, he asked where I was from. And I said, I'm from Canada. And he says, he says us, us in the Midwest, because this is a Midwest conference, us in the Midwest, the Wiccan uh, community, pagan community in the Midwest, affectionately call our part of America Paganistan because there is such a presence of uh, the pagan community. There's such a presence of the pagan community now in the U.S. Midwest. And there are some real wow. pockets of the pagan community uh, located across the U.S. Midwest. And so he said, we affectionately call this, this part of the country, Paganistan. It's our pagan homeland. Uh, and so this is just simply the conference for Paganistan, hence Paganicon. Wow. <laughs> it's amazing because I, now you, you said something about pagan pride. Yes. And before all that, we had gay pride and some other pride going on. And then that became prevalent in quote unquote law. It just, it just kind of gives me a scope of what is possible to come in X amount of years. Right. Right. And you have, like I said, about 40 different uh, pagan pride events across the U.S. And, and it's not just the U.S. There are also pagan pride events now in Canada, mostly in the Western world. But uh, it's a movement that started in, in America. Uh, and just Google it sometime, Pagan Pride, um, uh, pagan pride Day or Pagan Pride Projects. And um, there's web pages devoted to it. And uh, you're going to see lists and lists of different events, probably some fairly close to where you gentlemen may be living. I am just blown away by what you're saying, but what comes to mind? So basically, you're saying we are actually already living in a post-Christian world. Oh, completely. Completely. In fact, I'm going to go one step further. Uh, we're past post-modernism. Uh, I'm right, I'm right now I'm working on a book, uh, and part of the argument of my book, not the whole argument, but part of the argument, is that essentially we are already beyond postmodernism. Yes, we have massive influences of postmodernism. Don't get me wrong. That's still there. We also have huge, a huge input from modernity, the idea of secular materialism. That's still there. The Enlightenment, that's still there. But we're moving beyond postmodernism. We're moving into a new era, a different epoch. And, and some are calling it, and I'm calling it the same thing, some are calling it the age of re-enchantment. Mm. This age where we now find that our frame of reference is in an ancient future worldview, where we pull the pagan, uh, the concept of oneness from the past, we bring that back, we marry it to the future, we marry it through technology, we marry it through our culture, and, and we integrate this into a new framework. You see, postmodernism essentially is a vacuum of meaning. It's a void. Uh, and so it's, it has to be filled by something. It has to be. And so if postmodernism is a rejection of modernity, and they're not going to go back to Christianity, what's left? Hmm. Paganism. Yeah. Back, back to that ancient worldview. And so we're seeing just a we're seeing an explosion of interest in this. We're seeing an explosion of interest within those concepts. Whether it's called pagan or not, it really still is. It's a, a small p paganism in that it's become an accepted dominant norm. Everything is one. Man, nature, God, everything is connected. We're all interdependent. It's all holistic. We're all one. That's the pagan worldview. It's, it's interesting uh, because... 
a few years ago, I saw that they were starting to worship Thor and all these other uh, neo-paganism, basically, you know, all these old gods are coming back and they're worshiping, worshiping them in the daylight. um, And and people are gathering around doing this. So these uh, interesting conferences and retreats and it just shows you, I mean, you know, every, every generation thought they were in the last days and I see so many red flags that this is it. This is it right here. We definitely are moving into an era where it's only, this is only going to increase. Um, and, and it's going to increase because the foundation of Jesus Christ and God, God as different, distinct, completely separate from nature. Even Christians no longer hold to that. So many people that I've talked to within the Christian world go, well, you know, God is in everything. God is all part of everything. No, God himself in his word says he is exalted, he is distinct, he is separate, he is unique. And so even the Christian world has already, we're already sloughing that off to the side. And so all we can do is run headlong into this deeper and deeper and deeper. And like Romans 1 says, God will give us over to a debased mind when we worship and serve the creation rather than the creator. And that, gentlemen, is exactly what's happening now. My question um, to you, sir, is, okay, so we see that this is coming. We, we, we see all of these things. Have you seen... And I, you know, one of the things that I, I see that's being pushed on, on, on the populace today is Hinduism. The yogis, uh, yoga, um, or um, what's this, the type of Hinduism, Chris? It's, it's called... Um, Tantric yoga? I, no, it's um, Kundalini yoga. Kundalini, yeah. Yes. Do you see that at the conferences? Um, is it, uh, is it getting more... Absolutely. Um, and I'm sorry to interject there, but yes, uh, there was a yoga component uh, to some extent at, at the, the pagan conference I was at. I think one of the workshops uh, was dealing with, with yoga for Wiccans. I'd have to look it up in my agenda book. Uh, when I was at the Parliament of World Religions in 2015, there was a lot of emphasis. I could have gone to different workshops that really focused and emphasized uh, the, the aspect of, of yoga as a mystical experience, a mystical uh, practice. Uh, that, that will allow myself to become united with Brahma, to become united and recognize my own God within myself, and which is just part of the God of everything else. Um, that, that basically is the essence of, of what this is about. Uh, what I find so fascinating now today with yoga is, is there is a split, um, a split in thinking. And, and the split is this. On one side, and you have a lot of Christians on this side who do yoga who say, Mm, it's just exercise. That's all it is. It's just me stretching. It's just exercising. And then the other split, the other split comes from a growing Hindu uh, uh, immigrant immigrant population now within North America. Going, hold on, no, it's not. You've appropriated our spiritual our spiritual form of connecting to to the ultimate, connecting to Brahma. Uh, it really means this. It is spiritual. It is mystical. It is religious. And so I, 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 you know, this sounds really kind of weird, but I appreciate when, when, when the Hindu community comes out uh, and says, hold on, this is really what it means. Yeah. Yeah. You, you guys have just westernized it. You, you've, you've made it 
uh, uh, consumable, um, but really this is a religious a religious act. And, and you know, thank you, thank you for saying that because that's really what it is. When I was at the parliament, they made no bones about it. This is a religious act. Yeah, and sometimes I often wonder for the people that are born again and they take practice in this stuff, how does God deal with that? How, how do you mix darkness with light? God says he can't do that, but, you know, that's between them and God. I, I just wonder that sometimes. Right, right. And, you know, and we all do to some extent. We all mix up a little bit of darkness with light to some extent uh, as, as, we, as we struggle through and, and plow our way through. Now, I have friends who've done yoga, Christian friends, and they've, when they all of a sudden finally realize what this was really all about, they're like, um, no more. This is it. I, I'm done. And I'm like, thumbs up. I'm glad, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know. So yeah. I, I don't want to be too hard on people right. in the sen- in the sense that everybody is struggling uh, with 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 this battle of of uh, especially as believers, as we are being influenced on so many levels. However, we do need to speak up with what is true, and we need to do it in such a way that is loving and tactful. Yeah. And in fact, I think, gentlemen, even in this conversation, it's important for us to realize that everything that we've been talking about, there still has to be an application. And I think the application boils down to Acts, uh, Acts 17, where Paul was at Mars Hill. See, yes. the early church was completely surrounded by this kind of a culture. And so if we want to know how to act in this kind of a culture, we need to look at what the early church did. And I think Paul and, and his model at Mars Hill is a, is a fantastic example. Number one, he knew the culture. He understood it enough he could even quote their own poets and philosophers back at them. And he used that as a way to open the door, leverage the door open so he could begin to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ, the character of the, the character of the true God that was very important that's there, and the sinful nature of man. Of course, at the end of the chapter, you know that some uh, mocked Paul, um, others said they wanted to hear more, and then as you go through, you realize that some even came to Christ. But that wasn't Paul's doing, whether they came to Christ or not. Paul was just the messenger. He right. was just the ambassador. Yeah. And we have to learn to become ambassadors in this increasingly pagan, and I mean pagan in a small p, where there's this philosophy everywhere, and pagan in a big P, where it is a religious component, like what I went to. So we're going to have to increasingly understand how to, get, how to give the gospel, to leverage those doors open like what Paul did, to be an ambassador in an increasingly pagan world. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, some people say, why do you even look into this stuff? Why do you read or watch the videos? I'm, I'm trying to understand what's going on out there so that if I meet someone like that that was in Wicca or is in Wicca or is in the New Age or whatever else, I could actually relate to them in a sense of, I understand what you practice. This is what's over here on this side, God right. Almighty. And he, you know, he sent his son to die for you. Absolutely. And so important. I, 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 I have to agree with this. I'm sorry. Well, okay, I have to agree with Chris and, and what you said. I think it's, it's so important and it's so vital um, to the Christian walk. You know, the Bible says, study to show ourselves approved, a workman rightly dividing the word of truth. And um, you, you, you said, when you said that about him coming to Mars Hill and sharing, it is so true. Um, a lot of times 
we as as Christians, we only know the 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 little bit that we're taught, and outside of that, that's it. But what I what I find out is that today, more so than ever, a lot of these pagan things are woven in to a lot of the, the in, into Christianity. So you have Christians that are doing doing yoga, or or sometimes you even have Christians that are um, because of. Um, Maybe they're doing in, insanity workout. They're doing all the different stretches to the different gods, and they don't necessarily know that what they're doing. And it, it, we have to be the ones to say, um, or to, in a conversation, um, not um, belittling or putting down or 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 um, berating anyone, but just sharing God's word. And it's so rich that you know what they will. Maybe come to know, know the Lord Jesus Christ. Exactly. Amen. Exactly. Oh, you're going to say something? No, I just agree. That was awesome. Okay. Entertainment, right? Uh, I'm going to name a, uh, one show that came out on TV. You probably didn't see it, but I'm going to tell you why I'm bringing it up. It's called Iron Fist. And Iron Fist is one of the comics uh, from, from old. You had Iron Man, uh, um, Power Fist, something like that. Um, and. It, no, it's Luke Cage and, and Power Fist. Sorry, and this just came out. But what I'm, I didn't, re, I never read the comics, but I realize now that all of it, all of it, is about this Buddhist experience, and they, they bring out the whole season on Netflix. And if you watch this thing back to back, which I did, you're getting indoctrinated, <laughs> indoctrinated into this Buddhist philosophy. And the, the 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 heaven the 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 heaven that's hidden within the mountains of the Tibetan mountains, and um, how that he uses his chi to summon the iron fist, the power, and it's just some crazy stuff. But you know, it's relating to what you're talking about here because um, a lot of the, the the young people that watch these shows are getting just indoctrinated into these philosophies. What do you think about that? Oh, yeah. You know, gentlemen, I, I teach a course at a small college, a small Bible college in southwestern Saskatchewan called Miller College of the Bible. Miller's a great little school, by the way. Uh, it, it's not a big student body. I think there's 160 people or so at the Saskatchewan campus. And then in BC, they have another campus in British Columbia. And I teach a course called Secular Pagan Trends. Um, I taught it again in January, and this last week I just finished marking my final essay papers. I have my students do an essay on some some area, some some field of interest that fits with the topics we were discussing in class. Now, my class is a modular class, only 20 hours long, stretched over five days. So that's roughly four hours per day of actual class time. So it's pretty intense. But the, the papers that I've just finished marking, so many of them from my class of 50 students, so many of them were on different, different games, different game systems, different comic books, different television shows, uh, or wow. references into movies. As the students, after, the 20, after 20 hours of, 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 of wrestling with this together, this classroom realized uh, 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 just how enmeshed they are within a culture that that fits with these philosophies that we're talking about, these these Eastern pagan New Age esoteric philosophies. They're going, it's all over the place. We're we're, well, we're, 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 we're I'm so sorry. 
Yeah, we're being guided too. Say say that one more time. Start from the top, because this is something that we've been talking about, and I, you're saying, and I'm sorry to cut you, but you're saying that after your students take the class, after you've exposed them to all the things on the outside, they do what? They they, they do talk about. Yeah, they do a research paper, and, and their research paper has to dive into some area uh, that's pertinent to them, how they see this worldview impacting themselves or impacting culture or the church. So many of them do research papers on a game system or a, game, a particular game, virtual reality, uh, different movies, different TV shows, comic books. They do these papers because they realize that these games that they've been enjoying, these comic books that they've been enmeshed with, the movie series that they've been following, that they've all been preaching to them. And they're preaching to them the, these worldviews, these worldviews of Eastern mysticism, these worldviews of paganism, these worldviews of, of uh, the New Age movement or the esoteric uh, occult worldview. And so after... 20 hours, they're, you know, their eyes are open. They're writing these papers going, I can't believe, I can't believe how we've been soaking in this stuff and we didn't even know it. Yes, yes, exactly what, <laughs> exactly what me and Rory have been talking about for so long. And in fact, um, I watched a DC uh, comic uh, movie, a DVD that came out. I can't remember the name of it right now, but this one was in it. You know, Wonder Woman and, and the Super Friends and everything. The Justice League, and at the end of it, they're they're given a ceremony for the heroes, and uh, Diana, Wonder Woman, she says, you know, this is basically uh, Hermes and Mars and this, that, and the other god in in the modern age. I'm like, what? And so from there, I started doing my research, and it turns out they weren't lying. They weren't lying, right? And and, and it's just amazing to me. Because the professors in college that know this, they know that the comic book has roots in all of this. But again, the church denies some of this because it's entertainment. Exactly. Exactly. We just slough it off. Oh, it's just entertainment. And this is something I tell my students. Hey, you know something? It doesn't matter if you're reading a book or if you're watching a movie or whatever. There will be a message. There's going to be a worldview embedded in there somewhere. You can be preached to in some way, shape, or form. It's not necessarily a bad thing that's happening to you, but you just need to be aware of it so that you can discern, so you know what is good. Because sometimes it's good things being preached as well. It's rare. It's rare, but it's there. Yeah. Uh, you know, you need to be able to be discerning. You need to be able to know that, yes, you're being preached to. You're being preached to constantly. You're being preached through, uh, to, to by advertising, uh, through Super Bowl halftime shows. You're being preached to uh, with the latest movie that's come out on the big screen or with your next uh, VR game. You're being preached to. Yes. You know, you, you, you raised a point there that I, I got to go to. And it was... It was the um, Super Bowl halftime show. I was um, talking one day in my church, and I said, how many of you guys have ever um, been exposed to Hinduism or sat and watched a Hindu sermon in your home or some Hindu event, and nobody raised their hands? And I said, okay, okay, let me change it up. How many of you guys have sat down and watched the halftime Super Bowl show, and everybody raised their hand? I said, no. <laughs> 
you were just exposed to Hinduism, and this is what's going on. And I showed them how the, the different colors and all the things that were going on there. And But this thing is like you're saying, it is happening today on a level that is um, far deeper, far higher, far wider than anything we could have even imagined. Right, right. Yeah. I had to kind of giggle there because as you were describing that, I was like, yeah, they've all been, uh, uh, all have been exposed to it. They don't even know it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, this, and you know, it's a, I think it's a clever plan um, from the, 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 the dark powers because in reality, oh, since I've been researching a lot of this stuff for the last, oh my gosh, like maybe 20 years or so. It's it's very hard to get everything at one time, you know. Yeah. And yeah. if you don't know the different aspects of different religions, you'll be lost anyway. You would never know, <laughs> you know. Right. It, right. it was just a couple months ago that I found out what Shintoism was and what they believe. Just right. a couple months ago, and so, <laughs> you know, we know about Christianity. We know some things about Islam. We know some things about different sects of of of, of um Christianity. But the, when it comes to world religions a lot of us are just lost in what they really believe and i think that's one of the reasons why we'll soak up this and soak up that soak up some new age and years later we're like wait a minute i just read about that <laughs> you know mm -hmm. you're watching the movie yep. yep no you're absolutely right chris absolutely right you know uh it's not that we even necessarily need to know everything about every religion or every worldview uh, we need to have a, a good handle on it, though. Of that, there is no question. And, and, and what we do need to know, too, is where is that foundational difference between Christianity and these other different philosophies and religious worldviews? Where is that fundamental difference? And it boils down to a few things. It boils down to the fact that our God is different than creation. He is unique, distinct. There is no, nothing like him or comparable to him. Yeah. Uh, which is really interesting because, because uh, this cannot be a God you make up. We can only make up gods that reflect something that we already know from nature. This is a God that has to reveal himself to us. Otherwise, we would never know who he is. And that's what he does. He revealed himself to us through the Old Testament. And so we have to know that our God is different than all the other, all the other philosophies out there. And then we have to understand that what is our human nature, the character of our, of our human nature? Um, because the world says we're all good. <laughs> Freemasonry, even the, the idea we're going to make good men better implies that I'm already good. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to become better. No, I'm not good. Uh, compared to God's righteousness, I'm as a filthy rag. And the, and the language that being represented there, uh, and I had to explain this at a Bible study just last week, the filthy rag being implied here is that that used tampon that you throw away. It's a yeah. mess rag. It has no more value. You can't wash it out. You don't even want to touch it. That's that's the comparison between God's righteousness and my righteousness. So that's another point that we have to bring out. You know, we're not righteous. And then the third and the most important part of, of all of this that brings us all together is is how are we how are we 
we brought back to God? How are we brought back in a in a right relationship? And that's through the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. Uh, that is through Him and Him alone. And the beauty of all of this is 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 this: that God, in sending His Son Jesus, is uh, He is. He is exclude. Pardon me. He is he is inclusive in that he wants all to come to him. He says, "I want all to come to me." He is inclusive, but his way is ex- is exclusive. It is through his way, not your way, not some other religion's way. It is through his way. Amen. Amen. So, you know, those are the three basic things that we really need to start honing in on, uh, so that when we do talk to these other religions, we're going to go, "Okay, well, here's where the difference lies." Here's those three areas. This is our beginning point, gentlemen. Yes. Absolutely. Um, I think it's extremely powerful. Um, Some of the things that you said, uh, uh, my last question in this while we're here, it's going to deal with the movies now. Um, One, it is new games. This is movies. And I think for the first time in the, in the theater, um, the technology that we can literally see Superman fly, where the old days we knew he he was you know necessarily leaping over, but today we are able to to do certain things that we were never able to do, and um, one of the things that I see that keeps reoccurring is these portals opening up in, in, in movies. What do you have to say to that, or do you see um, at some of these conferences, people saying, "Oh, we are waiting for such a time." They're saying in um in the twenty third of September, it's supposed to be we're supposed to be ushering the new era in the age of the age of what? some of those things are supposed to be happening. The age of Aquarius or going into a different area. I can't remember exactly, but it's supposed to happen this year. At the conferences I've been at in, in uh, Paganicon, uh, like likewise with Paganicon, I ha- they, they they didn't talk about anything like that specifically. Uh, one thing that was mentioned at Paganicon was the importance of of building temples uh, across the U.S. and building temples specifically in the Midwest and kind of uh, uh, having a network of temples. And as they will build their temples to their to their deities, those gods and goddesses will manifest at those temples. And so the temple space can become like a portal or that kind of an idea. But there was no discuss, discussion of, of portals opening in September or anything like that. Interesting that you bring that up, though. Um, I, I can't mention where because I need to get permission from, from certain family members. Uh, all I'll do is, is tell you that a while ago, I did a lecture. Uh, at the end of my lecture, I had a young lady come to me and explain. She explained uh, her family situation, and uh, she had lost a brother. Uh, her brother, her, her older brother, had passed away. Well, now he'll have passed about a year from now. Um, and he passed away while climbing a mountain in British Columbia. He was looking for portals. He was looking for the portal into Argafa. And for the last number of years, uh, he had been living uh, this, this world view and living this world of, of Kundalini and opening his chakras. And, and he traveled all over the world uh, seeking enlightenment and seeking a, a, a way into the inner world. And he went up in this mountain um, searching for the portal into Argafa. 
uh, and he passed away due to uh, to the extreme cold and, and the other elements, the weather elements on the mountain. So when she was telling me that, I was just like blown away because um, for her, after she heard my lecture, she came up to me and she says, now I know why my brother died. Now I know what drove him to die. And I'm like, what? And then she explained this story to me and I'm like, wow. And I know quite a bit more of the details, but until I get permission uh, from the family to actually talk about it in, in some detail, I, I really can't. But to me, it is what you guys are, are kind of talking about uh, from what Rory I could get out of, out of your question. Uh, the idea of portals and openings, they're, you know, where did he get this from? He got it from his culture somewhere. He got it from his culture, whether it was, I'm not sure where, but he got it somewhere from, from the messages coming through society. He just didn't dream this up on his right. own. And, and right. interesting enough, right. this is what you find in the in the in the TV show and comic book Iron Fist, and also in Doctor Strange the movie. Yes. Mm. Also, well, the quest in, in Star Wars, you you see at the end of the last, I think it was, I, I can't remember the movie, but you're climbing the mountain to be enlightened at the end of the movie, and now you're going to the enlightened one to be taught. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Carl doesn't watch too many movies or TV shows, so. <laughs> but but I, I get what you're saying. Um, but one last movie, uh, we talked about it a little early off air. Um, the Avatar series is coming back out. Uh, four, four new movies um, being filmed back-to-back by, you know, James Cameron, and the scripts are ready and everything like that. And you, I think, would have a better understanding of what's being taught in that movie than a lot of people that I've spoken to. So uh, you want to speak on it for a little bit? Sure. I can only speak, of course, to the very first movie. Uh, and you're right. I don't watch a lot of movies. Uh, I don't play a lot of, uh, of video games. It's not that I'm against movies or against video games. I, I enjoy some of them. Yeah. Uh, here's, the, here's the irony, gentlemen. I, I use Second Life in virtual reality. Uh, that I end up using that for a fair amount of research and just some for some different exploring, but the movie Avatar was the quintessential movie for today. It was the movie, and of course, it's a few years old, but it still resonates today. It is a transhumanist movie with the in uh, the influx of the oneness worldview. You're connected mystically through nature, and not just connected through nature, you're connected through your technologies into nature. You transform yourself. You become. You're in the process of becoming. And it is really a, a movie that preaches from beginning to end. Uh, one thing with the class that, I, that I've taught, and I've taught this class now, I think it's my third or fourth year, third year, I guess, I bring up the movie Avatar, and after we talk about it for a while, you know, the, the, my students, their eyes are wide open. They're going, I never thought of that. I never thought of the fact that they were giving me, they were preaching me. James Cameron was preaching to me a worldview of transhumanism and oneness with everything and a pagan mystical connection between me and nature and that we are becoming more than being a human. We are becoming something bigger, something built in the image of ourselves something out of our own minds and our own imaginations. Um, and it really, really is a movie for, for this age of re-enchantment. Of, of, of all the movies, Avatar really fits that concept of re-enchantment. 
We are not mag magically in touch, magically in touch with nature through our technology, and we are becoming more than human. National Geographic came out with their latest magazine, and on the cover, it has the ape, the Neanderthal, the human, and the transhuman. And it says, I think the cover says either the new human or a new human. What do you think about that? <laughs> I heard about this, I, uh, and I saw it online too. I haven't seen the, the physical copy yet, uh, but I, I just wonder why it took National Geographic so long to, to, you know, to catch up with this theme, because this is the theme of Google, and this is a the theme of our tech industry. This is the theme of of, of this this techno shamanism, this techno enlightenment, this technosis. Mm, I like that word. Yeah, that's the theme that's so prevalent now. Um, and because it, it, it really is about we can, we can create a new humanity through our science and technology. I honestly don't think that we can create a new humanity. I think we're going to end up, um, we're going to end up doing damage to humanity rather than create a new humanity. I think in all of our, all of our hopes that we can, that we can do something enlightened and something progressive that, that, that typically the, the historic uh, end result of that is something that is that is not um, not to our liking. In, in creating heaven on earth, we typically unleash hell upon ourselves. I was just thinking that while you're talking, uh, because usually when you see something that has to push so hard to get out of the, of the norm, a lot of death is involved. Whether yeah. it's experimenting on kids or whatever animals, it's just a lot of death involved, and I don't think that the people that are running towards this headlong, well, you know what, let me not say that. I think some of them realize that and, and are going for that. But the people in the average society that think this is a great thing don't realize the consequences they have, they're going to have to pay if God lets us get that far. Yes, and, and you know, I, I have friends who are transhumanists. I have friends who, who, and I mean that, some of them are friends of mine. I've had some great discussions yeah. uh, with, with some people within the transhumanist community and, and I've maintained those contacts. Um, and, and, you know, I've met some, some of the most well-meaning people uh, in that movement. Uh, and we've had some, and we completely disagree. We completely disagree with each other in, in every respect when it comes to transhumanism. Uh, you know, they genuinely believe that there is a component, a belief component. They genuinely believe that they will make mankind better. Um, at the same time, there are some, even some within the transhumanist community that go, you know, we, we might not find that at the end of the day we've made ourselves better. Maybe we've, we've discovered that uh, we, we are uh, opening up Pandora's box for a whole new level of problems and challenges and, and um, the pursuit of good and evil. Yes. So uh, this has been a very interesting and the word enlightening <laughs> conversation. Uh, Rory, you have any final questions before we, um, I'm going to have Carl give out his information? Well, um, Carl, man, I, I got to tell you, this has been, uh, you've answered quite a number of questions and we haven't even really gone uh, too deep. I would really love to sit and talk to you some more about some of these things that are, you know, uh, I find you, you're able to explain it so, so easily. Um, again, and I guess this is because of your experience. Uh, a lot of times I find that when I'm, um, 
explain something to someone, it, it, it's a little it's a little difficult because maybe my my scope is not as wide as yours, and um, I'm I'm trying to learn, you know, um, learn that. The most I think important thing that we talked about tonight um, is the impact that all of this is on humanity or the impact that it yeah, the impact but it's being done subliminally. And it's not until you took the light in the classroom and you said, guys, you know, you said it took you 20 hours and this was the, the, the entire class, um, at the end of the class, they're coming back together. And um, at that particular point, uh, or some point during these lectures, that the light bulb went off and they were saying, hey, well, w wait a minute, I didn't realize that this has had an impact on my life. I didn't realize that this had an impact on my life. And they were able to pull from all these little things and, and piece them together to say, well, wow, these things are having an impact on my life and I never knew it. What frightens me, it goes, it shows me that we're, we're not in control of our destiny. That's what I'm saying. So, Carl, uh, thanks for coming on. Would you give um, the listeners information about yourself, uh, how to find your work, and anything else you'd like to give up? Yeah, sure. Um, number one, I'm working on a book right now called Game of Gods. And the subtitle is The Temple of Man in the Age of Reenchantment. You can look for it later on. Hopefully it'll be out in early fall. Uh, that's kind of what I'm, I'm aiming for at this point. Um, we have a website. It's been down for a while. It's forcingchange.org. It still is down, but it will be it'll be renewed as we get closer to launching the book. But you can find me uh, through Facebook, and you can find me on Twitter as well. So you can definitely uh, go to both of those social media platforms and, and uh, look up either Forcing Change or my name, Carl Teichrub. Thank you so much for joining us, and that is our show tonight, Rory. Thank you so much for for joining us and for you know just being able to share um, a lot of things going through my mind. Thank you again, really appreciate Rory, it. Rory and Chris, thank you both, gentlemen. You guys have a great evening. All right, thank you. The Starlight Lounge presents an evening with the Progressive Box. Oh, the moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.